Jesus. We bless your name. Do we not serve an awesome God? Amen, amen, amen. Open your Bibles with me if you would, and I will tell you where in one moment. The book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. The book of Matthew chapter 6, we're going to begin reading in verse 19. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. You got to say so? Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19, and it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your truth that sets us free and illuminates our lives, God. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us in these next few moments, Lord God, that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church, God. I pray that you be glorified and that you would use me, Father God, to instruct your people, Lord God, and to instill truth in their lives. And Father, I pray that we would not be just idle hearers of your word, but that we would be faithful doers of your word as well. Father, I pray that you be glorified, and I ask you all of this in Jesus' good name. Someone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline and you need an outline, raise your hand. Outlines are important. Raise your hand. Keep it up for a moment so that way the ushers can see you if you need an outline. I want to make sure everyone gets one. The reason why we need those outlines is because we do connect. Say, we connect. We connect. And so this is actually the last week of Connect for, until our summertime because during the summer we don't meet weekly for our Connect. Connect is our small group ministry, and what we do is we get together and we discuss the sermon. So it's important that you're able to take notes, and that way you can you know, discuss the sermon and you can remember what I said in case you don't have opportunity to listen to the message again. It's good for you to write stuff down, write down questions, so that way when you get into your small group, you can actually discuss those questions. And so um, if, you don't have, if you're not in a small group, Pastor Chad is in the back there, and he can help you out because we want everybody to be connected. Amen? Very, very important for us. So we are continuing on in our series, Are You CrossFit? And so I started this a few weeks ago, and we began dealing with the topic of us being CrossFit. I've used the F-I, and, and we, we're still on the I, and uh, um, the last message will be the T. And so what we're talking about, and obviously it was kind of a play on words, and that way we could look at, you know, I, I made the joke, you know, I, I, I put the, the, the little picture up there for you a couple of weeks ago, and it basically said that the first rule of CrossFit is that those those of you who are in CrossFit always talk about it, right? And the second rule of CrossFit, keep talking about it, right? So that's basically it. And so it was a joke as someone posted it on my Facebook, but we don't want to talk about the working out part because we learn, and we'll learn more about this when we talk about the T, but when we deal with being physically fit, I think that that's important, but what is more important is that we are spiritually fit. 
What is more important is that we are being transformed by the power of the cross and that we are being transformed by the power of the gospel. And so that's the reason for the question, are you cross-fit? Is the cross changing your life? Is the cross transforming you? Is the cross doing something inside of you? So the first week we dealt with the F and we talked about being formed and being freed and being founded upon the gospel and, and upon the power and the work of the cross. And when we dealt with the beginning of the I, we talked about it. If you look at your outline, you can follow along with me here. And the first part of this message, cross-invested, is what we're talking about. The I is talking about being invested. We looked at the investment of our time and our talents. And so based upon the scriptures specifically, we opened up with 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20, and verses 19, to 19 through 20 make it very clear that our bodies are not even our own. Amen? And so if your body is not your own, then what else is your own? Nothing is your own. I mean, the closest thing to you is the skin that you carry around. Amen, somebody? And so the reality is that that is what we would say is ours. And Paul makes it clear your body is not your own, but you and I have been bought at a great price. Jesus paid a great price. And then Psalm 24 in verse 1, it tells us that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, which tells us that everything in the earth is, is his anyway. And so we should clearly understand that we own nothing and that we are purely stewards. Say, I'm a steward. You're a steward. As I, was, as I was thinking about this, I thought about the title bishop, right? And the title bishop means overseer, right? It's someone who oversees a ministry. And, and what I want you to know is that you're all bishops. Amen. Say amen. Come on now. You are all bishops. You, every single one of you is a bishop in your own life because you know what? All a bishop is is just saying that I've been given a stewardship. Now, let me ask you this. Is this my church? Come on. Y'all need to be more clear on that. Is this my church? No, this is not my church, right? I, this, this isn't my church. I didn't die for you. Jesus is the one that died for you, right? And so ultimately, this is Jesus' church. But will I give an account to Jesus for this church? I will give an account for every one of your lives, so make my job easy, amen? Just listen to everything I say. Do it exactly how. Don't ask questions. Just say, amen, Bishop. Amen. We're going to do that, right? You'll make my life easier, right? And the book of Hebrews says something about that. I'm just kidding. But anyway, it does say something about, you know, making it easy. But anyway, the point is it's not, it's not saying not to ask questions. The, the thing is that the same way that I'm a steward in this ministry is the same way that you and I are all stewards in our lives. We are all overseers. We are all entrusted with time on this earth. We are all entrusted with talent in this earth. And we are all entrusted with what we're going to to talk about today, and that is what? Our treasure. Say treasure. And so we're going to deal with that because there are three areas, time, talent, and treasure, and I'm going to need a lot of time today to talk about this treasure, amen? We're going to talk about a lot of stuff, and I want to let you know something. I am going to really offend some people today, but I promise you that I'm going to liberate some people too, amen? I, I, I'm going to say some things that you probably never thought you would ever hear me say, Amen. I thought I would never say them either, glory to God. But I'm going to say them today, amen. And, 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 and I want you to hear the heart of God when it comes to treasure. Because God has taught, you know, God has spoken in his word. And so looking at your outline, while speaking about money or treasure and its use may seem uncomfortable or even unnecessary, you got to realize 15% of all that Jesus said and taught related to money. He talked more about money than he talked about heaven or hell. Now, the reason why Jesus used this topic so much is because the use of money or treasure has a direct correlation to our spirituality. Are you here? He talks about this because when, when you start talking about money, it gets quiet in the church. 
You start, you, people get nervous. They're like, oh, what's he going to ask? Listen, I'm only going to ask you what the Bible says. I, I, I have no dog in this hunt, right? I mean, seriously. It, it, I'm, I'm going to ask you what the scriptures communicate, period. I'm not going to ask you for anything more than what the Bible says. That's because I'm going to hold you to the same standard that I would hold myself. Amen? Amen? And so we talk about money. People be like, oh, hold on, hold on a second. You know, why, why is he talking about money? But Jesus talked about it. And, and here's, here's the thing that I want you to get. Greed is a symptom of a heart that hasn't been overwhelmed by grace. And what a lot of us don't want to realize is that we're greedy. Mm-hmm. I told you you were going to get offended. A lot of us don't want to admit that we're greedy, we're selfish. This, this is by nature. And so here's where we have to understand that by nature we are selfish, meaning that we think about me and mine, i.e. my family, my goals, my desires, my, 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 my. Talk about me, right? Somebody said, you know, the me monster. And so we think about me, it's all about us, and our culture plays into the me and mine mindset, while the Bible calls us to lay our lives down, take up our cross, and give all, not some. To give all for the glory of the one who gave his all. Jesus didn't give some, did he? We sang about this as, as Pastor Aldo was up here, moved to tears because of what Jesus has done and the day that we're going to be able to meet him face to face. I mean, really, Jesus gave everything for us. The Bible says that he was rich and he became poor so we could be rich. And let me, let me tell you, that doesn't mean that everyone's going to be rich in this earth. Amen? I'm just, let, let's make it clear, okay? I, I want that to be clear. Does, it does not mean that. But we are all able to be rich in grace, and we are all able to be rich in the life to come. Amen? Amen. And so it's important for us to really grasp what Jesus is communicating to us in this particular passage. I closed in the cross investment uh, message two weeks ago or three weeks ago, and I said this. I says, if we are not cross invested, it only reflects a poor estimation of the investment Jesus made in us on the cross. If you and I are not cross-invested, it's because we have a poor estimation of what Jesus did. It's because the gospel is not big enough for us. It's because the sacrifice that Christ made. Because here's what I want. If, if you don't get anything else out of the message that I will preach today, the reason why we give is not because we have to. It is because we have already received. The reason why we give, the motivation for our giving is because of what Jesus gave for us. My giving is not a response to a God who is holding over some curse over my head. Yeah, I just said that. Hello. It's not, it's not my response to a God who is waiting to lay the smackdown curse over me and, and that way I can just experience all kinds of hell and fury. No, no, no. That is not the motivation for my giving. The motivation for my giving is in response to a God who gave everything for me. And that has to be the motive of all of our giving. If we're motivated by anything else, our motivation is wrong according to the scriptures, not according to me. According to the scriptures, we should be motivated to give for certain things. Now, the first thing I want us to do is look at this particular passage of scripture that we're looking at. And, the, and, and I ask you to repeat this after me. Say, our treasure managed should reflect an investment in the cross. Our treasure managed should reflect an investment in the cross. And so the one thing, and, and, and those, those are coming up there because I know that, you know, I go kind of fast. But our treasure managed should reflect an investment of the cross. And so Jesus gives us treasure. God gives us treasure. He allows us to have this treasure. And look what he says here. We'll go to verse 19 again, and we're going to read through this again. He says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. Now pause for a moment. He says, do not lay up. In another version, it says, do not store for yourselves. 
In other words, he's saying that there is some kind of storing, right, that we do with our treasure. Like some of us put our money in, for, you know, in, in, in retirement accounts, right? Some of us put, you know, money. I mean, back in the day, people used to put them in CDs and bonds and different things like that. We put them in accounts that accrue interest. And so Jesus says, he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think that Jesus is opposed to 401k? Do you think that Jesus is opposed to you saving for a rainy day? You think Jesus is opposed to, he's not opposed to any of that, is he? Okay, so what he is saying is, he's saying don't put all of your treasure in your 401k. Don't put all of your treasure in your rainy day account. Hello. Right? Don't, don't put all of your treasure, you know, away on this earth. Don't put everything this earth. I love this, though. He goes in the, in the next verse and he says, but lay up for yourselves. Say, lay up for yourselves. Now, pause for a moment because Jesus is not saying not to store stuff. He is not saying not to lay up stuff. But what he is saying, he is telling us where we should be storing or where we should be laying up. He says, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. I like what Randy Alcorn says. He says, you know what? You can send money ahead of you. This is what the text is talking about. That's what, that's what he's saying here. Like you're going to have money at like a bank account in heaven. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what Randy Alcorn was talking about. I don't know that we're going to need money. I'm saying somebody was talking about streets of gold in heaven last week. Hello. You know, I'm just, I'm, but, but my point is, right, what, 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 what we realize is that Jesus doesn't say not to lay up. He doesn't say not to store up. He tells us where we should be storing up our treasure. He said we should store it in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. And so put it in a place where it's going to be secure. That's what he tells us. Put it in a place where it's going to be secure. Jesus makes an emphatic statement in this next verse. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Saying that where your treasure is, it was where our heart is. Notice the measurement is in the placement or the location of the treasure, not the intention of the heart. He doesn't say where your heart is, your treasure will be. That's not what he said. He said where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. He puts the emphasis on the treasure. He says, wherever your treasure is, that is where your heart is. Think about it like this. When you, look, for some of us, we could care less about stocks and bonds until we started investing. Hello. We didn't, know no, we, didn't know, we didn't know anything about any of that stuff. The moment that you put your money in there, suddenly you had an interest. Why? Because your treasure was somewhere, and now your heart followed your treasure. This is what the text is telling us. He's saying, so wherever your treasure is, in other words, he, I mean, he makes it clear. He says, basically, where our money is being spent is where our heart really is, no matter how much we'd like to deny it. Listen, I like to say it like this. Don't tell me how much you love God. Show me your checkbook. I told you you going to get quiet. Like, he was doing good until he said checkbook. He said check. Check the book. Right? Listen, look at, I mean, think about this. Think about, just, 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 just you know, just, just like kind of just think about this for a moment with me. Look at where you spend all of your money. You put this much into that, this much into this, this much into this, this much into this. How much do you give toward the work of the kingdom? Think about that for a moment. How much of your money do you put toward the work of the kingdom? Percentages, whatever, how do you, you want to think about that? Why is that question important? Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. 
I'm going to suggest to you to, to, to read this book, and, and it's not for the reason I'm going to tell you next, but there's a great book by a man, a man by the name of Randy Alcorn. It's called The Treasure Principle. And he literally lives off 10% of his income and gives away 90. Somebody should have been like, hey, man, that's what I want to do. Everybody's like, Bishop, what do you want to read this book for? <laughs> I want you to read this book because I want you to be liberated I, want, I can't do justice up here in, you know, 30, 45 minutes and help you to really get this principle. But if you read this book, The Treasure Principle, you're talking to a guy who gives away 90% of his money. Do you understand how amazing that is? Some of us are like, man, I'm struggling to give 10%. This guy is giving away 90%. He's living on 10%. But you know why he's able to do that? Because he has made decisions that he said, you know what, I'm not going to live a certain way. And yeah, you know, he probably makes a little bit more money than you and I do. But I can tell you what, I guarantee you he makes sacrifice that many of us don't make. And the truth is, we should be those kind of givers. I'm not saying everybody should be giving 90%. That is not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is we should be those type of people who are giving to the fullness of what God calls us to give. That we are giving to the fullness to see what God wants us to do with the finances that he has entrusted us with. Listen to the twofold beauty in this passage is that by intentional investment, we can direct our hearts. So the first thing is this, is that if I will put my money where it should go, I will direct my heart. So you know what? You want a heart for your church? Guess what? People don't care about what the church does with their money until they start putting money in it. Hello? I'm saying Listen, a few, a few years back, the, 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 biggest, the biggest giver in the church, he's not here any longer, but the biggest giver in the church, you know what? We had, we had church business meeting back then. We had the church business meeting. We always told everyone, listen, if you want to know what's going on with the finances in the church, let us know. Pastor Aldo will print out a, you know, a, a, you know, um, uh, a printout of all of the expenses and income and all that. And you know what? He was the only one who asked. You know why? He was putting a lot of money in that plate. I'm just saying. He was concerned. He wanted to know what his money was being spent on, right, which is important for us. And so that's why we communicate to you where we spend money, what we do with anything. We let you know, right? If anybody asks, we don't hide anything. We want you to know that. So you know what? Here's another thing. You want to, you want to care about missions? There's a couple of things, a couple of cards out there. You can get connected with some amazing people that are in missions. We have Lizelle's um, parents who are missionaries in Honduras, and, we, and they do stuff. And you want to know, guess what's going to happen? You start putting your money there, you're going to start praying for them, and you're going to know what they're doing and so he tells us that if we put our treasure somewhere then we can do that but the other beautiful thing in the passage is that he tell he shows us this he shows us that we can that that, that we can also do this with a hope for eternal rewards you notice how awesome God is he doesn't say for us to just not lay up treasure here on earth and just give all your money away that's not what he says is it is that what he says No, he tells us to lay up our treasure in heaven, to store it in heaven. Why? Because he's letting us know that there is eternal reward so we can rejoice and we can look forward to that. Jim Elliott, I don't know if you guys saw the movie The End of the Spear. It's about these missionaries who went over to Ecuador and they were trying to reach out to this particular tribe and nobody had reached out to them. Anybody who was not of that tribe got killed. And Jim Elliott and his team of missionaries, they were over there praying and seeking God. And as soon as they made contact with these people a little while after, they were killed for the gospel and for the glory of Jesus. And so this guy, he says this. He he, he says something I think is an amazing quote. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool. He is no fool who can give what who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. 
You see, what all of this shows us is that all the investments, listen, if you die today, if you die today, are you taking anything with you? You are. Whatever you sent ahead of you. Ah. See? No, it's all. Well, whatever you left behind, hello, glory to God. And so send as much forward as you can for the glory and the, uh, and the honor of Jesus. Amen? Amen? Listen, I want it to be clear. I don't know about anybody else in this place, but there is great joy in this life, not the life to come, in this life when we are cross-invested. As you see lives changed as a result of your giving, there is, and th- th- there is great joy in that. When you see people's hearts that are being transformed, when I hear testimonies, when people talk about what this church has done to their life, listen, if there's ever a moment that I think about quitting or I think about giving up, whatever happens, I want you to know this. I go back to those stories of people's lives that have been changed, and it makes you continue to want to do what? Invest all of your time, all of your life, all of everything for what? To see people's lives transformed. You lead someone to Jesus. Listen, it is intimidating to open up a conversation and start sharing with someone, but let one person bow their heart and say that they want to receive that Savior that you're talking about, and it will change your heart forever. Forget about all the no's that you hear. When you hear that one yes, it moves in your heart, and it's the same thing when you know that you are part of a ministry, when you are part of things that are changing people's lives, you get excited about that, and there is joy in that. Mm. So the second thing, we are going to turn to a lot of scriptures here. Repeat this after me. Say, gospel-centered giving must be biblically based, practically purposed, and worshipfully practiced. See why this is going to take a little bit of time, right? It's like three points in one. I'm just letting you know. Gospel-centered giving must be biblically based, practically purposed, and worshipfully practiced. And so, look, we're going to go through a lot of scriptures. We're going to look at all these scriptures together, because we, and, and, I, and I'm going to do my best not to expound every single one, but I will talk on each one. Amen? So the first scripture you want to turn to, I said it must be biblically based, right? Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. You guys should know this one, but I just want you to turn there. 2 Timothy chapter 3. In verse 16 and 17, this should be like a memory verse for many of us. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17, when you got to say so. All right, nobody has it. I didn't get one so. You're still writing the point? Man, I make some long points, man. That was a long one. It just, that, just, that just goes to show you, you know, this Memorial Day picnic is going to take a little bit of time to get there, glory to God. I know you're all excited. You're like, yeah, we're going to the picnic. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. Amen. All right. Y'all ready? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 to 17. You got to say so. All right. It says, all scripture, say all scripture, is given by inspiration of God. That's the theonustos. That's divinely breathed in. So God divinely breathes in his word. For what? It is profitable for doctrine, for teaching. That is reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now look at verse 17. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped. Say thoroughly equipped. equipped. Say for every good work. Now notice here, first of all, I said it must be all of our giving, right? Gospel-centered giving or cross-investing. It must be biblically based. And so the first thing is that the Bible says in the scripture that we just read that the word of God thoroughly equips, say thoroughly equips. That means completely equips. That means that God doesn't leave stuff out. God wants us to be ready, and he equips us for what? For every good work. Say every good work. 
Y'all got to get a little bit more excited than that. Okay. In other words, the word of God prepares us for all that we are called to do as believers. Amen. It it prepares us for everything. And how many of you know that we are called to give? We're called to give. We are called to be givers. I mean, that is what the Bible teaches from the Old Testament to the New. And so the second thing, so the first thing is, must be biblically based. So that means we go to the Bible, which is good for instruction, good for correction, good for reproof. It's good to get us ready for every single work that we're supposed to do. The second thing, according to the Old and the New Testament, I said that it must be practically purposed. According to the Old and New Testament principles, you and I were only expected to give what we had. It was proportionate. Say proportionate. So when God asks us to give, he he tells us to give in a proportionate manner. One of the most popular words when it comes to giving is the word tithing. Say tithing. tithing. And so tithing is found in the Old Testament, and it was based on a tenth of what you had, not what your neighbor had. Amen? God didn't say everyone had to give the same amount. He said everyone had to give the same percentage. See, there's a difference, right? Because he wasn't saying, so if I have, you know, a hundred of something and you have 50, then that means that you would give five and I would give 10, right? So you would, and and, and I'm talking about in the tithing principle, that's the way that it worked. And so God didn't expect someone who made 50 to give 100 or or who who had that that amount over here, the 50 to give the same as the 100. He didn't expect that. He expected us to give proportionally based on what we had according to what the scriptures teach. And so you you didn't give a tenth based on what your neighbor had. And then we see this translated into the New Testament. In the New Testament, we see that giving is governed by the same principle. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verses 1 through 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verses 1 through 2. And when we're, what we're going to look at in the New Testament are all of the, not, not every one of them, but are mostly the principles in the New Testament for giving. Like, I'm not going to take you to the book of Acts and show you when people were selling their property. I'll mention that, but I'm not going to take you there because I don't think that that is supposed to happen, you know, throughout, you know, to the end of time. I think that that was something that was occurring during that particular era. But those are points. Those are examples for us of what giving was like. So 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1 through 2, when you got to say so. It says this, it says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. That sounds pretty authoritative, don't you think? You said you must do, he gave orders, I'm just saying, that's pretty intense right there. Y'all don't want me to give you orders, do you? No? Say no, you can say no, I would expect no. No, bishop, don't order me, just, you know, inform me, no. (laughs) Give me options, I'm just saying. You do know that the Bible is not a book of options, right? Because that's how we take this sometimes. Like, this is a book of options. Like, oh, maybe. No. 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 <laughs> no. This is the truth of God's word, right? This is what God commanded his people. These are not options. Your option is repent or not. Okay. So, <laughs> verse 2. He says this. Look what he says. On the first day of the week. Say, on the first day of the week. Let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper. That is the proportionate part, that there be no collection when I come. And so what did he say? He says, when is this supposed to happen? On the first day of the week, every time you came together. So what is the principle that we see here? Well, we see, number one, we see that giving should be consistent. Say consistent. Consistent. Shouldn't be like whenever you feel it. You know, like some people in in, in the new covenant, you know, they don't want to be under any kind of bondage, right? They don't want to be under any kind of legalism, right? And so they wait for them to feel something to move. No, 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 no. There's some commands that you ain't got to feel them. Just do them. 
Amen, I'm just saying, right? There's some things that are clear. And so, you know, we should, we should have something separated that we should give. That, that's just a norm of what the scriptures teach here. And the apostle is giving us principles. We want to be New Testament givers, amen? I'm just saying, we want to be those who are governed by the New Testament. That means that we should look at what the New Testament says, and we take that as the laws of God, as the directives of the Lord for our lives. And the second thing that he says is that we should store it up as he may prosper. In other words, how you have prospered. What you have is what God is expecting of us to give. That's what he says there. So the next thing that we'll look at, let's look at 2 Corinthians, next book over, chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 1 through 15. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 15. We'll read it together. And I'm just, for the sake of time, I'm going to just pause and just, you know, hit a couple of points in here, and then we'll move on to the next verse. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 15, we see that cross-investing or gospel-centered giving begins with a heart that is given to the Lord. The most important thing that I want you to get out of this, again, is that your heart must be God's. Your heart must be God's. Before our money will ever be God's, our heart must be God's. Verse 1 says this. It says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Now notice he says this grace of God. And the grace he's talking about is them being able to give, their willingness to give. He says, I want you to know the grace of God that has been bestowed on the church of Macedonia. That in a great trial of affliction, now these people were afflicted, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty. So these people were poor and they were afflicted. Abounded in the riches of their liberality. In other words, it abound, they, were, they were poor. Now, now hold on a second. Pause for a moment. These people were the epitome of people who shouldn't be giving. These people were the ones, they were afflicted, and they were in great poverty, is what the scripture says. And what was the result in their life? Did they say, man, we can't give, we wish we could? Is that what, they, is that what happened? That's not what happened here. Because something else happened in their heart. But, but, but stick with me here. He says, in their great, in, in, in this affliction, the, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, say according to their ability. Yes, and beyond their ability, say beyond their ability. They were free willing. Say they were free willing. So there are the three New Testament principles for giving. Number one, you give according to ability, right? You give according, you give proportionally. Number two, beyond ability. What does that mean? That means you give sacrificially. That's the second principle. And the third principle is what? Free willing. Say free willing. Not because someone is twisting your arm. Not because someone said you have to give something. Not because you felt really emotional one day. No, it is because of what happens inside of our heart when Jesus really takes hold of our life. He goes on with this. He said, he, he said they were free willing. He said imploring us. These people were begging. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you begged to give an offering? Seriously. Like when was the last time, and, and listen, let, let for a moment, let's just forget about church offering. When was the last time you saw someone in need and you were like, man, I got to help them? When was the last time that that happened? When was the last time that something was awakening you that you were like, man, I really have to do something? 
Well, these people were imploring. They were begging Paul. They said, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. And so they begged them to receive this gift because that was part of their fellowship because they were caring for other hurting Christians. And he said, not only as we had hoped, but they first, say they first, gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. See, that is the, that is the key to the whole item of giving. They first gave themselves to the Lord. Before they gave a penny, they gave themselves to the Lord. And when they gave themselves to God, their hearts were transformed. When they gave themselves to the Lord, something was changed inside of them and it turned them into these people that were afflicted and that were poor and yet they were begging, please let us give. Please let us help. Please let us do whatever we can do. And he goes on in verse 6, he says, So we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you, listen to this verse, I love this verse. But as you abound in everything, say as you abound in everything. When he's saying as you abound in everything, he says as you're growing in everything, as you're growing in these things, he says in faith. How many of y'all want to grow in faith? He says in speech, right? In, in, in the speaking of the word. How many of y'all want to be better communicators of the word of God? Right? He says in knowledge. How many of y'all want to grow in the knowledge of God's word? Right? Amen. He said in all diligence. You know, you want to be more diligent in your prayer life. You want to be more consistent, right? How many of y'all want to grow in that? Right? Those are all godly virtues. And in love, right? How many of y'all want to grow in love? Right? We, should, we all want to grow in faith. We all want to grow in speech. We all want to grow in knowledge. We all want to grow in love. But he says this. He says, see that you abound in this grace also. See, the amen's got less, right? It was like, yes, yes, love. Yes, yes, faith. Yes, yes, knowledge. Yes, speech. But hold on a second. We should want to grow in the grace of giving. See, because most of us, we're bound by, and, and I'm going to say this right now, and I'll say it again later. Most of us are bound by this tithing mentality. We're stuck in this tithing mentality. And what happens is we feel like, okay, I gave my 10%, I'm good. I gave my 10%, I'm okay. I've done what I can. I've done what I'm required to do. Hold on a second. Let's let, let, I'm, I'm not doing this, but let's just, for the moment, let's just throw the principle of tithing out the door. What if God just said to you, listen, I want you to give as much as you can for the glory of my name. How would you measure that? How would you measure that? Seriously. Well, I don't know, God. I mean, I, I really enjoy cable, but I don't... You know. you know, I don't know, God. I really have some things that I want. What if God did this to us? What if God said, I want to measure your love for me by how much you give freely, willing, as you desire? What if he did that? How would you measure that? God, I love you with all my heart, but I can only give you five bucks. And for some of us, I mean, you know, God, I love you with all my heart. I can only give 500, and 500 is like five bucks to the rest of us. Hello. I'm just saying. It's proportionate. Some people write a $100 check, $200 check. It's, it's nothing to them. God has them at a different place financially, right? Thank God he doesn't do that, amen? Or does he? Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. I'm just saying, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm going to leave it right there. Look what he says now. Look, look, look what Paul does. Y'all wouldn't like, you, you guys would not like Paul as your pastor. I'm letting you know this right now because I know y'all. 
You would not appreciate him. Imagine me telling you all this. Look what he says. Verse 8. He says, I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. I thought we're not supposed to compare ourselves to others. That's what Paul is doing right here. See, I told you I wouldn't like him. I'm like, thank God. But I have his words, so I'm, look, look what he says. I am testing the sincerity of your love. So he's not commanding them. He's not saying, man, you have to do this. He's giving them direction. He's saying, look, this is what you should do. This is what you committed to doing. This is what should be happening in your life. That's what he's communicating to them. So he's letting them know this. He says, for you know the grace. Now look at verse 9. This is the verse that I was quoting earlier. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. How many of you are willing to become poor for the name of Jesus? See? See, I get no amens. No amens up in here. No amens. They're like, nah, Bishop, we want, we want to be in the middle of the road, right? We, 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 or, or you're already poor. You're like, I can't be any more poor than I am, glory to God. <laughs> Listen, here's the thing. This, this, this is what I want to say. I want to say this. This is so very important because there are two manipulations of the gospel that are totally opposed to each other, and neither one of them is right. And one of them is a poverty gospel that holiness is depicted by how poor you are. You can't have anything good, you can't have anything nice, you can't have anything new. Because that, then you love the things of this world. That is the wrong mindset, amen? amen. I'm just saying. That you, being poor doesn't make you more holy, sometimes it just makes you more ignorant. I'm just saying. I'm, seriously. Because a lot of this stuff, I, I want you to get this, a lot of this stuff, and I'm not doing it today, but a lot of this stuff has nothing to do with your giving or not giving, it has to do with your stewardship over what you have. Right? And so there's a, there's a poverty gospel, but then there is the other side of the spectrum, which is a prosperity gospel, that your holiness is, is really shown by how much you have, right? So if, if, you're, if you're poor, then you're not holy, according to this gospel over here. I love what, um, I think, I, I, I can't remember who it is who, who says it, but it's one of, one, one, one of, the, um, one of the men of God, he's, he's um, Bethlehem Baptist Church, Pastor Chad, what's his name? Bethlehem, Bethlehem, Piper. Piper. There you go, John Piper. He talks about the gospel, the, pro, the, the, the prosperity gospel. If it doesn't work in like a third world country, it's not the real gospel. If it doesn't work for everyone, it is not the true gospel. And so here's the thing. God blesses us. I'm going to show you how God blesses us in a moment here. But here is, here, here's what Jesus does. Jesus becomes poor for us. So that way we can be rich. Rich in what? In this world? Mm, not necessarily. So we can be rich in his grace, so we can be rich with the understanding of who he is, so we can experience those things. And so this is what God wants us to get. But the question is, would you follow Jesus' steps and just become poor for his glory and his honor? Would you lay your life down? See, a great example of this to me is when I look at Lizelle's parents. They were, they were retired age folks, older, right? How old were they when they, when they, when they went? Okay. So 15 years ago, they're in their 70s, so they're about 55, right, around there. My math is horrible, but I was close. 55 years old, right? Most of us are thinking, like, I know I'm thinking. I can't think for you, but I think for me, right? 55, I'm, I'm like, thinking about, okay, it's, it's time to kind of chill out. It's time to kind of back up. I want, I want to have my house paid off. I want to be able to, you know, not worry about certain stuff, right? That's, that's, what, I, that's what I'm thinking. You know what they're thinking? Sell the house, and let's move to Honduras. 
Let's go start an orphanage over here, right? And then you look at this, and we're going on a mission trip over there next year. So y'all need to come, as many of you as you can. But here's the thing. They go over there. Listen, David was not, they did not go over there. Hear what I am saying. They did not go over there to start a church. That was not the goal. The goal was to go over there and start an orphanage and start a school for these kids that needed this education. And now how many churches do they have? Look at that. They raised three churches over there. These are people that said, you know what? We want to lay it all down for the glory of Jesus. We want to lay it all down for the glory of Jesus. And God has blessed them, and they've gone through trials and hardship, and God has blessed their lives because they want to do this for the glory and the honor of the Lord. And so let's get back to the text here, and we'll we'll continue on. He said, for the grace of of our Lord, verse 9, Jesus Christ, that that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to, to, uh, to doing of it, that there would be a readiness or desire it, so there also may be a completion, uh, a completion out of what you have. For if there is, is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what, what, what one has. Again, God is going back to what? Paul is speaking about being proportionate. He's saying these people had a heart. They were willing to give. They desired to give. That's what he's communicating. And he's saying that it, it is based on what one has and not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by inequality, that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply Supply your lack, that there may be equality as it is written. He who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. And so that's what God wants for all of us as a church. In this particular context, he's talking about one church taking care of the needs of another church. That's what he's talking about. He's talking, you don't hear about that today. People, this doesn't happen. This is not the norm, right? And so he's communicating that that should be our heart, that we should be those who have a willingness to give and that we go on in giving. So the first thing is our hearts must be given to the Lord before anything else. The second thing, turn, turn, turn over to the next chapter, chapter 9, and we're going to read verses 6 through 15. Cross-investing is proof of our faith in the gospel. So in ch- chapter 9, verse 16, I know you're there, so just say amen. Verse 6, I'm sorry. Verse 6 says this. It says, but this I say. Now look at what the scripture says. Now this is, again, we're in the New Testament. Say, we're in the New Testament. All right, this is New Testament principles for giving. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. But he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Someone say amen. Amen. Now pause for a moment. He he says this. He says, if you sow sparingly, and I'm going to use another word, if you sow stingily, That's what he's saying. If you give just the bare minimum, is that a word? Whatever, man. It's going to be a word today. It's a word now, and it's going to be in our dictionary, so I will use it continually. Okay, all right. Don't look it up right now because you're distracting the congregation, man. All right, don't, don't. All right. So anyway, stingily, glory to God, right? That's That's a Greek word. That's the Greek word for sparingly, stingily, glory to his name. So we, so we give in a stingy manner, right? We give, we're like, I mean, it's hard. In Spanish, like, I think the word is tacaño, you know, like, just really like, you know, like, you're just hard. I don't know, I don't know how to translate that word in English. Just hard, right? Just like, really like, like hard. I don't know. 
just, just greedy, right? Just selfish, just tight. Like, I mean, that, that's, when, when you give like that, that's what you get back. New Testament principle, this is not the Old Testament. You sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. You give the bare minimum, you get the bare minimum. That's what the scripture's saying. But then he says, you sow bountifully with abundance, with desire to bless. That's what that word means, okay? With the desire to bless, you sow, you sow all that you can. How do you reap? You reap bountifully. And let me ask you a question. If you are not sowing anything, what do you think you get? Thank you. Okay, so we can move on. That's simple math, right? If I sow sparingly, I reap sparingly. I sow bountifully, I reap bountifully. If I'm sowing nothing, I reap nothing. That, 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 that's, that's the way that I would see the principle. He goes on to say this in verse 7. He says, so let each one, say so let each one, give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so the first principle is we should give. I mean, hey, it depends on what you want to reap. And I'm, I'm just reading the scriptures. I'm not telling you. And I want you to notice, please hear what I'm saying. Nowhere in this scripture do you see you're going to reap a hundredfold. Amen. That, that, that's another scripture, and that has nothing to do with money. That has to do with the gospel being preached. Amen. Hello? All right. I'm just, I just want to make that clear because there, there, there's a parable where Jesus is speaking about sowing. You know, the sower went out to sow seed, and he sowed in these different places. And when he sowed in the good ground, the good ground, some reap 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. And you have preachers who get up there and say that that's, that has nothing to do with money. Nothing to do with money. I hope you're being liberated. Okay, because we sow bountifully, we reap bountifully. This is what the scriptures teach. And in verse 7, he says, so let each one give us the purpose of the first thing is what? We should be sowing. We should be sowing bountifully, I hope. The second thing is that we should be giving purposefully. Say purposefully. We should be purposeful in our giving. We should be giving according to the purposes of God. What is his purpose? To advance the gospel, to advance his kingdom. Okay, and he says this. He says, not grudgingly. Say not grudgingly. Not with an attitude like, man, I have to give. That's grudgingly. Like you're writing that check and you're like, man, I would love to go do something else. That's grudgingly. That's the wrong heart. Pastor Chad would tell you not to give the check. I'm going to tell you, give the check, but repent before you give it. I wish he was sitting here, man. He walked out on that one. He'd be like, God don't want your money. No, listen, that's God's money. He wants your heart right. Hello. Repent of your sinful, grudging attitude, right? He says, so don't give with a grudging attitude. And then he goes on and he says, he says, and not of necessity. Not a, that, that's a big word. Not a, see, when, when you're bound with the curse, with a curse mentality, you know why you give? Of necessity. Yo, I got to keep the lights on in my life. I'm just saying. I got to give that tithe. He's going to take it out of my hide. Hello? Y'all heard that. No, y'all heard that. Hello? You better pay them tithes. He's going to take it out your hide. Right? Listen, he's saying, he's, he's, don't give of necessity. Don't give because you have to give, right? Don't give because you have to give. You give what? He says, because God loves. He said, God loves. Say, God loves. God loves. A, cheerful A cheerful giver. The Greek word for cheerful is the word hilarion, I think. And it, what it means is hilarious. A hilarious giver. Like someone who's like, yes, I get to give today. Yes, I get to bless that person today. Just someone who, when they give, there's excitement in their giving. Not someone who's like, oh, my goodness, I got to write that check again. 
Oh, my goodness, I got to give that check. No, someone who's like, yes, glory to God. I get to sow into the work of God. That is the right heart for ministry. And God makes it clear. So he goes on. He says some more stuff here. He says, and God is able. I love this. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Pause, please. Look what he says. God is able to supply everything for what? So you can live fat. Is that what he said? Is it okay for you to have some nice things? All right, I got half of the group said yes. No? Yes, no? Yes, right? It's okay for you to have some nice stuff. But it's very important that we do so into the work of God, that we do so consistently, sacrificially, all that stuff into the kingdom. He said that he, he makes this grace abound so that way we are what? So we will have all sufficiency so that way we will be able to do what? So we will be able to be a blessing. That's what he blesses us for. He says this, he says, and as it is written, he has dispersed abroad and he has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now, now may he who supplies, I love this here. Now may he, this is a prayer from this apostle for us. He says, now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. That's so awesome. May he who supplies seed to the sower and bread to the eater. You know what the problem with many of us is, man? I'm going to say this. I've heard someone else say this. I don't know who said it. But the problem is that we're eating our seed. That's the reality. We're eating our seed. We're supposed to eat bread. Hello, not seed. He supplies us with what we need. He supplies us with what is necessity of our life. And then what? We're supposed to live off of that and we sow the rest. Where are we sowing it? We are sowing it into the lives of people, into the, into the furtherance of the gospel. But hear me, church, you are sowing it into the kingdom of God. You are storing up treasure in heaven. He goes on and he says this. He says, while you are enriched in everything for all liberality which causes thanksgiving through us to God. When you give, when you sow into the needs, when you sow into the ministry, there is thanksgiving to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but it also is abounding through many thanksgiving to God. So not only were they supplying a need, but also God was being praised and worshipped because of the giving of the people. He says, while through the proof of this ministry, there is what I talk about, the proof, the proof of this ministry we prove our devotion and I'm not saying that God's like oh well they're, they're really devoted because they give no we prove that we've been changed by the gospel because we give for its furtherance amen, amen. and he goes on and he's, he says for the, 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 they, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men and by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And so there's glory to God here. Thirdly, the first thing is I said it must be biblically based. The second thing is practically purposed, and we talk about how we do that here. And the third thing is New Testament giving of money is equated to Old Testament offerings of animal sacrifices and should be understood as a part of our worship of the Lord. Understand this. Turn to Philippians chapter, chapter 4. I want you to see this because you need to understand the first thing is it must be biblically based. The second thing is it must be practically purposed. And the last thing is it must be worshipfully practiced. Amen? Amen. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 through 20. And you got it, say so. so. It says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly. 
that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to, how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer. Verse 13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, he who, you, nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. And so what was Paul concerned with? He was concerned with their fruit. He was concerned with their blessing. That's the heart of anyone who preaches the word of God with the right heart regarding money. It's not about them. It's about you. Understand this. The only reason why I'm preaching this is because I want you to see the fullness of what God has. And that doesn't mean that you're going to have every single thing that you want. Amen? But that does mean that you will see the glory of Jesus in your giving and in your future. He goes on in verse 18. He says, Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus. Listen to me now. The things sent from you. Now look, he's talking about monetary gifts that were sent from them. And look at what he, what he equates it to. He says, A sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And then he prays again. He says, in my, or, or he, say, he declares this. He says, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So our giving must be biblical. It must be purposeful. And it must be worshipful. We worship with this. Now, now I'm going to ask you a question. Can I have five more minutes? Five more. Give me five. Just five. Just five. Can, just let me know who gives me five. 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, hallelujah. We got an hour up in here, glory to God. All right. I don't be honest. I'm going to take like seven minutes, okay? But listen, we're going to go through this part fast. I think I've laid a good New Testament foundation for our giving. The third thing I want you to say, repeat this after me, say cross investment is to be governed by a regenerated heart, not just a regulated amount. Cross investment is to be governed by a regulated heart, not by a regenerated heart, not just a regulated amount. Now listen, one of the biggest questions asked in regards to giving is, how much am I supposed to give? We've already established that giving should be proportionate, it should be sacrificial, it should be consistent, it should be purposeful, and it should be free-willed. But my question is this. We talked about the New Testament. So is there a way to biblically measure or determine an amount for us to give? Now remember, the Bible is supposed to instruct us, amen? The Bible is supposed to show us what we're supposed to do. And so the scriptures are given to equip us for every good work from the Old Testament. We don't just read the, old, the, the New Testament, amen? Right? We read all of this, the full counsel of God, because we need to be instructed in his full counsel. And so we look at what the Bible teaches. So from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we see giving exemplified, exemplified as a natural part of being a, of being a part of God's community. There was something that, that just naturally happened. When you look in the book of Genesis, you see right away, chapter 4, between chapters 1 and chapter 4, what, what do we see there recorded? We see the first sacrifice, the first offering that was given to God by Cain and Abel, 
right? We see this clearly. When you go all the way to the book of Revelation, what do you find? You find the elders doing what? They're casting their crowns at the feet of Jesus, acknowledging that he is the source of everything, that he's the reason why they're even there. He's the reason for their rewards. And so from Genesis to Revelation, we see giving to God as a pattern that is a norm for us to follow. I want you to notice something. When you look at the book of Genesis chapter 1 through 4, now listen, we don't have all of the details, but what we do know is that it is impossible for God to communicate something, right, like this to to Cain and say, you know what's right if he never said what was right. Are you here? Right? So somewhere between chapter 1 and chapter 4, we get this recording. Somebody communicated to these guys. They knew what sacrifices were acceptable and not. So somehow, I don't know how it was, I don't know what made it right or wrong, I mean, that's something that's debatable, but the point is, God said, you know what's right. This is before the law was given. This is before, so I can't go to Exodus or, you know, I can't go there and try to figure this out. No, I can't do that, because that wasn't given yet. And so what I have here is I have God who communicates, he shows himself as being one who has certain expectations. And so here's the thing, the first person to specify an amount to give to God is a guy by the name of Jacob, say Jacob. Jacob, in the book of Genesis, chapter 28 and verse 22, right? You don't have to turn there. You can write that scripture down. It's not the first time you hear the word tithe. The first time you hear the word tithe is in chapter 14 in the book of Genesis. But in the book of Genesis, chapter 28, verse 22, Jacob is on his way to his his, his, his soon-to-be father-in-law's house. He's on his way to Laban's house. And when he's there, he has this dream. He sees the ladder going to heaven, angels ascending and descending, all of that stuff. He realizes, man, this must be the house of God, holy place. You know, he takes his rock, anoints it, and then he tells God, you know, God tells him in the dream, I'm going to be with you and and all of this stuff. And so then he, he communicates to God, he says, okay, he says, if you'll be with me, if you'll protect me, if you provide for me, what does he say? He says, I'll give you a tithe of everything. I'll give you 10% of everything. Now, where are we at? We are in chapter 28 of the book of Genesis. We have, we have now gone from, we, we've gone through two generations, right? Because Abraham was in chapter 14, the first time that we see the word tithe mentioned. And then you move forward to the, to, to the third generation here, which is this guy by the name of Jacob. And so what does this tell me? What, what this tells me is that prior to the law, this 10% was there from somewhere. I don't know why it's there, but what I know is that it's there for something. It's there for something. And what I think it's there for, this is my opinion. Let me, let me inject this. This is my opinion. I don't have some theological position. This is my opinion. My opinion is it's there for us to consider. It's there for us to look at and say, look, man, before the law, somebody already had some kind of position that they took. Something was being communicated to someone. My thought is they probably had some conversations. I mean, Abraham was 10%, and Jacob just came out of nowhere like, hey, I'm just going to do 10%. I don't know. It doesn't seem that way. It doesn't seem that probable to me. But here's the thing. Jacob wasn't promised that if he didn't give 10%, he was going to be cursed, did he? He wasn't communicated that. He simply made a declaration. He made a decision. He said he was going to give. He was going to sow. That's what he was going to do. And so we see that. Then we move from there to the Mosaic law in which God requires what? He requires three tithes. Say three tithes. So if we were going to be real tithers, right, you know how much we would be giving? 23%. Base, that's the base amount. Let me, let, me, let me break it down for you like that. Because when you look at tithing, there was three tithes. The tithe for the priests, the tithe for the festivals, and the tithe for the poor that was taken up every three years. So that's three tithes. So if we want to be real biblical tithers, we need to be giving 23% at minimum. Now, what we're not factoring in is that you weren't allowed to glean the end of your fields for the poor. We're not factoring in temple taxes. We're not factoring in any of these other offerings that were given. So that would bring it up to around, I'm, I'm just going to throw a number out there, around 30%. I'm just going to say that, whatever. It's a lot, right? I'm just saying, that, that, that's a lot. So if we want to be tithers, right, 
Just saying. That's what we're looking at. We're looking at those types of things because giving wasn't just tithing. That's ignorant to think that way. Giving wasn't just regulated by tithe. Tithing was a regulated giving for a specific purpose, which was to take care of the temple and make sure that we had feasts, and that's the beauty of God, and then to make sure we were taking care of the poor. But he goes on, and, and we move on from there. We move, and we end up in the New Testament in which giving is at another level. I gave you the example. In the book of Acts, we see people selling property and giving above their ability. Mind you, I want you to get this. This is another reason why, I, why, why me, and, I, and I, want you to, I, I want to say this, and I want to be as clear as I can. I do not believe that tithing is a requirement for New Testament believers. I know y'all never thought I would, I never thought I would say that either. But hear what I'm going to say. Even though that is the truth, I have never thought about giving less than 10% to God. Let me tell you why. I want you to understand why. The old covenant believers, they gave 23% plus. How could I, as a new covenant believer, give anything less? Seriously. How could I think, oh, I'm free. I don't got to give. That is the wrong heart. That is the wrong mindset. I've never, when I got this revelation, you know, a few years back, it wasn't like I was like, oh, praise God, I don't have to give 10% no more. I didn't have a praise party because I have to give 10%. It changed things because now my heart is on display every time I give. My heart is on display. Every single time that we give as New Testament believers, our heart is on display before God. Show me how much you love me. That's what he communicates to us. Show me how much you appreciate the cross. I mean, we all talk about, you know, we'll preach, you know, we'll quote, like, I think it's Hebrews chapter 8. We have a better covenant, this new covenant, all that kind of stuff. Is it really better? Is it really new? Is that the way that we give? New Testament communicates to us this different mindset of giving. But there's something that happens in the Old Testament, and this is the reason why giving should be consistent. In the Old Testament, remember, there was one tithe that was taken for the priests, right, because they were supposed to live off of their ministry. And you know what happens in the New Testament? I don't have all those scriptures for you right now. If you want them, I can send them to you. But as no, I want you to understand, the same principle that was there remains true in the New Testament, that those who preach the gospel are supposed to live from the gospel. So let me ask you a question. Would you like to work? And, I, and listen, I have no problem with this. I'm just throwing this out there for you to think about for a moment. Would you like to work and be like, man, I wonder if I'm going to get a paycheck this week? How would you like that? You wouldn't be working there very long, would you? I'm just saying, listen, I love you. I want you to say, I appreciate your giving. I appreciate your faithfulness for those of you that are faithful. And I hope you're being liberated and being challenged. And I just have a couple more things to liberate you with, and then we're going to move on. So then, okay, so how does tithing apply to Christians then? If it's not mandatory for us, you can write this down. This, this is a big one. This is a big one. He's going to put it up there for you. Tithing, listen to me now. Tithing is a biblical principle that teaches us the importance of systematic giving towards the work of the kingdom, showing our dependence upon the Lord for his provision and blessing upon our lives as a whole. <laughs> I'll email that to y'all. How about that? I, 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 I'm, I'm going to send that to y'all. Don't write it down right now. Just listen to me. We are, I already went over my time by four minutes here, okay? So listen. I took another five minutes. I'm sorry. But here's the thing, okay? Tithing is a biblical principle 
What it teaches us is it teaches us to be consistent. It teaches us how to be systematic in our giving. It teaches us that we're giving toward that greater purpose. It teaches us how we can be that way. And what tithing does, see, I love the, I, I love the way my theological friends communicate this. Well, tithing was never money. I think that that has to be one of the most ignorant statements that I've ever heard. But listen to me. Because when you look at the Bible, the Bible, you're right, they never tithe dollar bills. But you know what they tell you? They tell you that if you had to travel a long distance, guess what you could do? You could buy something. So what does that tell me about my offering? It tells me that the offerings in the Old Testament had monetary value. Hello? And how many of you have a farm up in here? Anyone? I'm just saying. How many of y'all have a farm? How many of y'all are raising goats and cows and chickens and stuff? Most, most of you are not. There may be some of you that are. I'm just saying, right? But here's the thing. Most of you don't live like that, but you go to a third world country, and you know what they're going to give you? They're not going to give you money. They're going to bless you with what? The produce of the ground. That's going to be their blessing to you. That's going to be what they give you. Why? Because that has monetary value to it. It's something that has value. And so the thing is this. The reason why I love my theologians that point that out is because what I realize is that what grows from the ground and what comes from the womb is a blessing from who? If God doesn't bless the ground, I don't care what seed you sow. If God doesn't bring the rain, I don't care what seed you sow. If God doesn't bless the fruit of the womb, guess what happens? There is no life. And so tithing is a principle that shows I am honoring God with my finances to do what? Say, God, I depend on you because you're the source of my strength. I'm not so amazing that I can keep this job. You're the one that helps me to keep this job. You see, you understand, when I tithe, I say, God, I depend on you. When I say tithing, I'm just talking about a designated amount that I give toward him. I say, God, my dependence is on you 100%, not on myself. I don't produce my own things. I don't make things happen. You're the one that does that stuff. The problem with tithing is this. This is my major problem with tithing is that it's limiting and it's misunderstood. Like I said, we, we feel like, well, I gave my 10%, so I'm good. And you go about your day and you're like, okay, God, you know, you promised that you're going to open up the windows of heaven. So we don't want the curse. We want the blessing. Mm-hmm. That, 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 that's the truth. The truth is we, we, we don't want the curse. Oh, I'm not cursed. Jesus became a curse. Amen. You don't want that part. You want the blessing, though. You want the windows of heaven. You want a blessing that you cannot store. Glory to God. I'm just saying, don't you want that blessing? I want that blessing. I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. Right? So bountifully. Amen. Now, y'all y'all could have y'all got a little more excited about that. Just saying. It's misunderstood. Malachi chapter 3. I need to take you to three scriptures and we're going to be done. Malachi chapter 3. And we'll go quick. Malachi chapter 3. Turn there with me. I want you to see what it says. Don't, don't, don't do it by memory. Malachi chapter 3. It's misunderstood. It's misunderstood. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8 through 12. And first off, I do want to say this. A long time ago, years and years ago, I preached from Malachi chapter 3, and I actually believed that we would be under a curse if we didn't give our tithes and our offerings. So for anybody who heard that, please forgive me. Amen? I'm just saying, I was wrong. I had, I had a miss. But I can tell you this. I didn't preach that message because we were hurting financially. I didn't preach that message because I wanted you to give more. I preached that message because I want you to be blessed. So I preached that message. He says this. He said, will a man rob God in verse 8? He says, yet you have robbed me, but you say, in what have you robbed me? Now, look at this. This is the only reason why I wanted to read this. He says, in tithes, say, and, and offerings. He didn't just say, in tithes. See, that, that, that's my issue is that my theologian friends, they get stuck on tithes. Well, that's tithing. Hold on a second. He said, you robbed me in tithes and offerings. 
It's not just the tithes. It's not just the 10%. It's in the what you're giving to me and its totality. It's about the heart that we have to have right. He goes on, he says, you're cursed with a curse and so on and so forth. He communicates all of those things. But here is the thing. We have to think about that. Why is that important? That's important because it's not just about that 10%. It's about what am I giving to God in my fullness. What am I giving him my offering? Because New Testament is about offerings, amen? That's what New Testament is about. So I want to be faithful with that. And, and, and we already read 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. So bountifully, reap bountifully, so sparingly. That, that, that's the equivalent to our Old Testament. There's no curse. There's no, there's no threat of a curse. Just simple math, right? But let me give you the scripture that I believe is the, probably the, seal, the, the sealer of the deal for me. Turn to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Pastor Pete, who's with us today, and I appreciate that. Can we give him a hand for being with us today? Appreciate you being with us, man. Um, in our, in, our, in our Tuesday morning men's Bible study, the Key Life Men's Bible study, which I encourage you men to come out if you can make it. It's from 7 to 8 o'clock. It's a really good and fruitful time. He's going through the book of Proverbs, and the, the book of Proverbs is a book of principles. Say a book of principles. And so in chapter 3, verses 9 through 10, look at what it says here. It says this. It says, honor the Lord with your possessions. Some, some translations say with your wealth. And with the first fruits of all your increase, and verse 10 says, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. How many of y'all have some barns and vats? Well, you have bank accounts, right? You have stuff like that, right? So you have an equi- something like that. I'm just saying. A place where you store stuff, right? And so here's what he says. I, I, want, I want you to just focus on this. Verse 9, it says this, honor the Lord with your possessions. My first question is this. It hasn't even talked about giving yet. He just says, honor the Lord with your possessions. That word honor there is the word kabod. It's the heavy weight, the glory, to glorify God with all of your possessions. So the question, the first thing is, when you think about the money that God has entrusted you with, do you honor him with that money? That's the first question. Do you honor him with what you spend it on? Do you think about him? Do you consider, man, is this something that can bring glory and honor to God? It doesn't mean every single thing like buying a sticker, you know, a pack of gum isn't necessarily going to bring glory and honor to God. I'm just saying, you know, I mean, do you think about God or are you just frivolous with what God gives you? You just spend it how you want because there's a way that we're supposed to honor him. We're supposed to consider the way that we deal with our finances. And he makes it clear, that word possession, that word wealth, he makes it clear. He's not just talking about the stuff from your ground. He's talking about everything that we have. Honor him with your wealth. And then the next thing he says, he says, and with the first fruits of all your increase. And so, look, I'm not going to get into the whole debate. That would take another 30 minutes. You all don't want to give me that much time. But here's the point. The point is, the principle of first fruits is this. It is that you think about God first. It's that you don't think about him after you paid every bill. Okay, this is what I have left over. That's not the right mindset. If there's one thing that I agree with Dave Ramsey about is the way that people do their budget, usually it's, you know, house payment, car payment, this payment, that payment, that payment. Tithing is on the bottom. He says you need to flip that upside down. And his whole point is that you think about God first. You consider what you're doing for the kingdom and for the glory of God. Because here's the thing, the principle that is here, is that if you will honor him with your wealth, if you will honor him with the first fruits, you, you will give him your first and your best. If you will honor him with that, then you're going to see God's blessing on your life. Hallelujah. Amen? I hope you're free today. In closing, the most important question is, have I found the treasure that is worth everything? Matthew chapter 13, it talks about a guy. He was looking through some fields. He found a treasure, and you know what he did? He covered it up. He went and sold everything he had to come and buy that treasure. 
That's the gospel, y'all. Have you found that treasure? If you haven't found that treasure, today's a day for you to find that treasure. Amen? Bow your heads with me and let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for my brothers and my sisters here today. I thank you for their hearts. I thank you for their willingness, Lord God, to hear from you. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would liberate.